Welcome to the Mum Mind podcast, or how to stop your mother falling out of your mouth. I'm Steph McSherry, I'm a mum of two, and I've been running Kinderama, a multi-activity programme for the last 20 years. Hello, I'm Bethan O'Riordan, and I'm a psychotherapist, mum of three, and I run the Cam Parenting Club, which is an online community for parents. Each week we answer one of your parenting questions and if you want us to answer something about you and your family, email us themummind at gmail.com. And we've got a very interesting question this week and one that I completely relate to. Yes. So today's question is, how do I deal with after school meltdowns? Oh, (laughs) yes, I remember them. So my little boy used to finish preschool and I used to hang around the area where the school was because there was an hour between preschool and his sister finishing at school does that make sense so it wasn't worth going home and back out again but the poor little man used to just almost explode (laughs) after preschool and it, it took me so long to work out what was going on you know you always say play detective So I always remember kind of thinking, what is going on? And I thought he was behaving like this at school, but he wasn't. He was so quiet and well-behaved at school. It's like he kind of pushed all of that stuff down inside during preschool. And then after preschool, when he was back with me and feeling safe, it's like he just exploded. And he'd shout and he'd scream and he'd cry and he didn't know what to do with himself. And it took me ages to work out that that's what was going on. That must happen a lot. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think so. I'm sorry, I was waiting for the end of your story. I was like, so what did you do, Steph? But maybe we get to that. Well, or do you want to say? Well, I mean, in that scenario, it was difficult because we were in a car and, you know, when the weather was bad, we used to, he used to literally, we went and found somewhere safe to park. He'd sit on my knee. I'd put a movie on my phone and he'd just sit in me and kind of cuddle up and watch the movie. But that's basically because we hadn't, nothing else to do we couldn't really go anywhere or do anything else if it was a lovely day we'd go for a walk he it's like he needed something and I think it's really important to work out what works for your little one because I think some kids do need that kind of vegging out just relax completely like even sleep or just cuddle up on the couch other kids need the energy outburst they need to be on a trampoline or kicking a ball but for him at that time after preschool just cuddling up and watching a movie for kind of half an hour Mm, that sounds lovely I was thinking oh I might do that myself um (laughs) so yeah I mean oh I think it's so hard I honestly think it's school and preschool is so hard because children are all so different you know, and, and, and I really feel for education providers, you know, they're trying to provide something that suits a, such a wide variety of children and needs. And, you know, children in the last 20 years have become more anxious. Um, there's more competition in their world. There's more rules, there's more, and, and, and I know it has to be that way, um, you know, because it can't just be a free-for-all in schools and preschools. But the bit that you said then about, yes, being your child's detective and tuning into them is so totally important because 
you know, in an environment, say like a preschool or a school, there is so much in a sensory realm that sends kids into a spin. I, I made a list this morning. I was ask, I was asking my kids, what does your head and what what hurts your head? What um, you know, and they said, Well, the noise, the lights, the strip lights just do what what one mm. of my kids just they, they just drive him bananas. Um the ele- the electronic buzzing of the whiteboard. You know, that constant wow. background noise that's there, chairs scraping on the floor um, and, and also kind of not having autonomy. You know, like if I need to rest, I'll just rest. If I need to sit in a quiet room, I get to sit in a quiet room and kids don't get to do that. You know, and I know that preschools and schools are, you know, developing sensory areas and quiet corners and cozy corners and movement breaks and I think it's tricky because sometimes these can be dependent on children's behavior or when you finish your work, you get to do that. And I'm not sure if children work in that way. It'd be lovely if they did, you know, but I, you know, and I I think the movement breaks are, are, are absolutely essential. But I think, I think the most important thing that you said, Steph, is tuning into your kids. Like I have three children and when they come home from school, all of them need a different thing. And I think a lot of the solution to the meltdowns is parents totally lowering their expectations. So, you know, I've, I've met many families who, you know, they don't want their children watching telly for more than half an hour after school. So then the telly goes off after half an hour and the child has to do a puzzle or has to move or has to do something. And often this is too much and sends them into a total spin or they want them doing like an, uh, an, an, an educational activity. And sometimes when I work with families, I say, what would it be like to go totally wild and have no rules, to have no limit on the time that your child was allowed to watch TV for? no limit on the time that they're allowed to use their technology for. And most families like, oh my God, well then my child would go even more bananas and they would, you know, that post tech kind of head melting thing that kids can do. But my experience is also that with a lot of families, taking the rules away means that children have the ability then to tune into what works for them. So they might watch a whole movie after school every day and then that's the thing that helps their brain come back together again. That's mind blowing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because you see, like we want to have so many rules. We don't, you know, we hear on the TV, you know, children need to move for how many hours a day? Children are watching three hours of screens every day. I think, well, yeah, but is it bad for them? I, I don't know. You know, does it work for some kids? Yes, absolutely. It does. You know, and I think parents must be really flexible within that. You know, sorry, on you go. No, well, I, I'm in my head. I'm hearing eight thousand parents going no, but that because I think sometimes we have those rules not because we necessarily want to to have those rules, but because there's certain time restraints or certain things we have to get done i.e. homework, I'm going to mention that little hot topic, you know, that you think, well, there's only a certain amount of hours after school to bedtime where we've got to get dinner done, we've got to get homework done. If parents are working, they're collecting them from wherever, bringing them back to wherever, maybe there's GAA or whatever. So I think often time restraints are the issue with just letting your kid kind of find what they want to do after school. Yeah, absolutely. And then I say to, I would say then, well, 
you know, what's the most important thing? How can you as a parent prioritize? Is it the emotional well-being of your child or is it that they go to the GAA? You know, or is it that they do their homework? Or is it that they do? You know, I know that the journalist Jen Hogan, she she's done a couple of pieces last year and then one, I mean, we're only five days into January. She did one two days ago about homework. And, mm. um, you know, there is no scientific research that shows that homework supports children's academic learning. And I think it is the bugbear of a lot of parents' lives, particularly in this day and age when normally both parents are working. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and I think that's, I mean, I'm not here to comment on what anyone should do in their family. My whole mission is to help families tune into each other and find a mm. way that works for them. Uh, and, and you know, I, I meet some parents say, but I really like that my child does their homework because it reinforces what they've learned that day. I say, okay, great. Is there a payoff for that? Is there something then that your child is forgoing? Is there something, is, is that extra push to help them reinforce what they've learned that day impacting somewhere else? And some kids love homework. You know, my daughter whizzes through her homework, always has done, has never really given out about it. Like she'll come home and have a snack and do her bits and bobs. Then she'll crack on with her homework, get it done and out the door. Yeah. So I think some kids don't have an issue with it. Um, I'd love it if it was just a very basic amount that was optional. Yeah. I hate the fact, you know, as in, I think times tables, for example, are kind of an important one that it just helps them to kind of go over them and get them in their head. I think spellings are quite, you know, that, that kind of, and that that can take 10 minutes right you're going through the three times table and you're spelling five words done and dusted instead of this you know my son's nine he gets half an hour of homework that i find too regimented yeah i think families should be able to pick and choose yeah i mean and again this is the thing that's so hard for schools isn't it because if i was going to pick and choose i'd be like all right do a bit of coloring tonight then not a problem <laughs> and would my kids then the stuff that they find more difficult would they lag behind in that i don't know i, I mean i i think the thing is also so you know back to jen hogan's article last year i remember i mean homework is optional there's no legal obligation for any parent to make their kid do homework you know, like I work with many families who do many different ways of school and homework. And I know loads of families who tune into the kids and say, do you know what? We just we just couldn't do homework tonight. I've taken months off doing homework before and it hasn't affected my children's abilities at all. I can hand on I can hand on heart say that I know families who say their children have a diagnosis of dyslexia or maybe they don't even have a diagnosis of anything and they get 10 spellings to learn the whole academic year you know okay. so I I think some kids are really able for homework and others they've just reached capacity so we're back to playing detective right we're back to playing empowering parents to say okay this suits this child and this doesn't suit this child so this is what we're going to do with this child and having the the confidence to say to their teacher or whoever actually that's not suiting him or her and hoping that the, the school will hear that yeah um, i mean again i've worked with so many different kinds of schools i've worked with so many um different families and some schools are really open to it 
And other schools would say to me, well, I remember once I had a discussion with a principal and I said to her, where is your evidence base for the kids who were four and five doing homework? And she honestly looked at me like I just asked her something in Swahili. And she said, well, the only answer I can give you is, is that I can tell when parents haven't helped their kids with their homework. And I said, oh, okay. And you see, again, then we're back to, well, parents, you know, your child, you know, and you have to advocate for your child. And and, and I think, I'm, I, I won't pretend I've read a lot on this. I think there is a push to change the curriculum at the minute. Maybe it hasn't been changed for 20 years. And, you know, they're talking about reducing reducing religion and increasing languages. I mean, that sounds fine, but if you've got a diagnosis of dyslexia, dyslexia that could be hell, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, but then again, I don't know how in a room of between 25 to 35 children, how do you make a curriculum work for everybody? You don't, but mm. as a family, you get to advocate and you get to tune in and you get to help. And also we have to realize that, you know, education is learning. It is um, learning skills, learning how to read, learning how to write. But, uh, you know, it's not the be all and end all. And, and I know some parents might be like, oh, my God, you're wrong. But, you know, we must place emphasis on learning a trade and learning skills as well. You know, and and if you listen to any podcast about business or entrepreneurs, you know, Richard Branson is dyslexic most of the really, really successful entrepreneurs had a really difficult time at school because they didn't fit into the school system. They didn't fit into that. You know, those kids were labeled problem kids and it's because they didn't have that type of brain. Yeah. They had to get out and do, let's create, let's make. And I think there needs to be an element of trying to encourage those kids in a completely different way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's possible. We're not asking for, not trying to change the entire education system. <laughs> one step at a time, one step at a time. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. But I, and I think a lot of it comes from. So I meet a lot of teenagers and they have this enormous pressure that they put on themselves. And I meet the parents and I say, you know, they're very put a lot of pressure on themselves. They will they will literally do their work, schoolwork until they collapse in bed at night. And then they have all kinds of anxiety problems and all kind of mental health stuff going on. And the parents say, well, it doesn't come from me. I say, but maybe it does a little bit because don't we all want our children to succeed? And it's really important we have conversations with children around what succeeding is and being successful. You know, being successful to me is putting your head on the pillow and being like, God, that was a good day. It's not money, it's not the size of a house, it's not the car I drive, it's not, and, and all those things are maybe the things that people are putting emphasis on for children in a, in a long-term, in a long-term way, you know, and, and I think, you know, the question was about meltdowns, and yeah, the meltdowns come, and then as the children get older, they turn in, they can, I'm not saying they always do, turn into mental health, turns into anxiety, turns into pressure, turns into stress, turns into panic attacks and overwhelm. So I think anything we can do to help a child tune in at a younger age to what works for them and, mm. and learn how to take the pressure off. 
you know I mean I, I I know I worked with one family and the rule the rule was in the school you must keep your hands to yourself and this child just kept him not punching people but kind of flicking them or annoying them and and and, and like there was the, yeah I mean right you're laughing too and, and it was this big thing and I was like but the kid doesn't have the ability to do that they don't have the brain development they don't have the life experience the cognitive skills so a lot of the time also there's all these rules in place that kids, you know, you must stand still in the line. You know, there's so many kids who cannot stand still. They just yeah, can't. have a wiggly, jiggly line instead. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I remember one of my kids was totally reefed out of it for bouncing a ball in a line. And he cannot, for the life of him, not bounce a ball. I mean, he will sit at the breakfast table with a bouncy ball, bouncing the ball, bouncing the ball, bouncing the ball. And it's part of him regulating himself. You know, he will kick a ball off the door. And yes, it does my head in. Sometimes I want to be like, shut up. It feels like a jackhammer <laughs> in my brain. But I can't because that's the way he regulates himself. So then if we, you know, you must stand still in the line. Okay, but you can't do that. Then what? Well, then you keep everything in. And when you come home, you absolutely explode. You go bananas because you get it out. And, and that's really hard. And, you know, as I say, fast forward a few years, have we taught the skill? Have we taught children the skills they need to take the pressure off? I don't know. And it starts at a young age. It does. And actually, our work in Kidrama has changed a lot over the last few years, I guess, particularly since the pandemic of making some of our work tuning into how we're feeling inside. Yeah. Now, the kids I teach are very young, but it's just having that language and that, you know, is your heart beating fast? Is your breathing fast? Can we do, we do a lovely yoga pose called the turtle pose where your, your legs are kind of folded with your feet together and you tuck your hands underneath and you go into your shell and your head is tucked down and you take a breath and I swear every time the energy in the room completely changes it goes instantly calm because you can't help when you're in one of those safe cozy positions you can't help but feel calm so if you point out to the younger kids then that do you feel different when you're in this pose? Do you, do, you know, giving them that awareness so that they then have the ability to realize when they're either out of control or feeling kind of wiggly or jiggly and, and what do they need to do? And I've done a lot of work with my son and over the last, over the Christmas holidays, there was a point where he came to us and said, I don't I don't feel so good I feel like I'm wasting my time and he'd had a lot of more screen time than he would normally but he was realizing in himself that it didn't actually make him feel very nice if he was on on it for long periods of time so we then said kind of you know what what's the toolkit what kind of stuff makes you feel nice and it was listening to music it was going outside kicking a ball he has one of those rocker boards he loves going on the rocker boards so he was like, actually, I feel a bit better now that I've done something like that. Now I want to do some Lego. Great. Let's go and do some Lego. So I think it's a lovely way. If you can tune into what your child likes to regulate themselves and to use that more and to give them the language of that's what we're doing. You know, mum's going to the gym because I need some time on my own to get back with a clear head. If we're using that language, I think it really helps. 
Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think um I think it's so important that we show our children and we just, you know, we mirror to them. Yeah, I'm human too. I find things hard. And this is what I'm going to do to look after myself. You know, and, mm. and, and you see, the thing about the after school meltdowns is this, is that, you know, when a child is having a meltdown, the biggest thing that a parent needs to do is to be calm. And it's really hard because every part of your body and your brain is, you know, sending you into kind of stress overwhelm mode of like, ah, and it's either like, I don't know what to do or why are you like this? Why can I help? Not again. I mean, I meet many parents that are like, I really hate getting my kids from school because it's so much, you know, the meltdowns are so much. And I would say then, well, you know, if they've got to that point, are they in the right school? you know, is does the school fit the ethos of you and your family or is it too much? And also, can you go and talk to the school? Can you say, look, this is happening. This is happening for my child. This is too much. Can I change something in their day? Is there anything different I can do? Um, because that because that really helps. But yeah, helping kids tune in without shame. And, and I mean, like, it's amazing. You know, at the beginning I was saying, give, you know, it might work to give kids unlimited screen time and then see how they come back to you and they feel. And your son came back and said, I don't like this. Same with my daughter mm. over the Christmas. She was really sick. And so we had the telly on. I don't even know if the telly was ever off, really. And um, she said, I'm a little bored now, mum. And I said, great, will we do that puzzle? And she said, mm, let's. You know, so uh, helping mm. kids tune in rather than us being the definitive, well, you've had 25 minutes and that's all I'm giving you of that now, you know, but it takes yeah. a lot of guts and a lot of bravery to tune in in that way. Kinderama is a multi-activity programme for younger kids. It's full of music, imaginative play, adventures, ball skills, dance, drama, and all for the under sixes. We have an online programme at kinderama.com and if you use the discount code MUMMIND20, you can have 20% off an annual membership. I was just going to say, I think on a practical level as well, food and drink is really important after school. I know sometimes it, I might go through my kids' lunchboxes an hour later and realise they've barely eaten or drank anything. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, how did you survive the day? Um, so... I always think eat, getting them food and drink fairly swiftly after school helps most of those traumatic situations. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard then, isn't it? You know the times when you know your child's hungry, but they won't eat. And that's because, you see, when your body does this thing, I did this cooking course once with him. What are they called? The food remedy? Tara Zuluagadorgan, she's, she, she's amazing. She's a, medic a medicinal chef. And she taught me once that, when you get very stressed, all the stress hormones, all the stress running around your body, it actually cuts your stuff off. So, you know, so your body doesn't want to eat because it's preserving its energy for kind of this, this fight or flight stuff, you know, sitting down and having your body organs work to digest a meal is like, you know, the totally the opposite of what it needs when it's really stressed out. But as a mom or a dad, you know, oh my God, if I could just get a bit of food into them. So it is, it is really hard like I've always got a snack in the car 
I've always got a something and it's kind of like a segue point between being unbelievably healthy and not so much, (laughs) you know, so it's something that they want to eat because kids do, they'll eat, I know my kids will eat a meal, even if it's not their favorite meal, they're not mad about fish, but they will eat fish. So on the days that they're totally starved, I wouldn't give them that first off. I'd segue them with a flapjack and a bit of fruit. Or I'd find that I'd make them cheesy nachos with dips or, you know, like something that I know isn't going to be a battle, like a <laughs> a lentil lasagna is one of my kids' like um, arch enemies. What's for dinner? Lentil lasagna? No! <laughs> I'm sure it's lovely. I mean, it's it, it. I'll be honest and I'll say it varies. Um, but I know that if I can come at him with something that he really likes for his snack, then he's more likely to have that, you know. But even as I'm talking now, stuff I'm thinking, isn't parenting exhausting? <laughs> isn't, yeah. isn't there so much to remember and so much to tune into? And of course, to do that, parents must look after themselves first. And that's been a running theme through the last few weeks. I think, you know, looking after ourselves so that we're in a place where we can play detective and work out, you know, what does our child need from us? And it doesn't mean we're going to get it right all the time. But I just think these are little clues and little tips and tricks to kind of get ourselves in a headspace where we can accept our child's behavior for what it is and look at it and go, I wonder what's really going on here. Yeah. Not just looking at the meltdown. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got a message on Instagram saying something, I'll paraphrase, but something like, I don't know when I'm colluding with my child's behavior and I don't know when I should be supporting them to be different. And that's it, isn't it? You know, but you see, everything is about how, how we look after our child when they're in that meltdown, because it's those moments that underpin their mental health. It's those moments that are the foundations for how they feel about themselves. And it's almost like in brackets, can I be at my worst and you still love me? Can I be at my worst and not develop a really critical voice inside about being bad? And that's the most important thing. And that's why we have to look at the school environment, the academic environment, does the homework work for them? It's about that being you is fine, whatever realm of being you looks like oh I love that Mm. yes that's it (laughs) in a nutshell that is and and that's it right and sometimes that means going against the grain sometimes it means being the parent who like you know I work with a lot of parents who say I just don't want to annoy the school I say of course you don't I mean nobody wants to be annoying and I mean most teachers that I've met that have come to me as clients that I've met through professionally, personally, they want the information to help a child. But the really important thing to remember parents, this teachers are trained to be teachers, preschool teachers, uh, you know, teacher teachers. So you must go to them with the solutions. So, you know, I've taken my child for a sensory assessment. I know that they learn better if they can, whatever be lying on their back yeah. <laughs> doing a handstand I mean I, I, I'm joking I'm tongue-in-cheek here you know yeah but, but even if it's for periods of time it would help yes because teachers don't have 
and aren't supposed to know the answers for between 25 and 35 children in a classroom. You know, teachers yeah. are doing their best. If we can go to them and say, do you know what? It's really helpful if um, he can sit facing. I'm thinking of trying to think of things I met in the last year supporting families. It's really helpful if my child can face the board because for them putting their head down and up and looking sideways, it makes their head very dizzy. Really simple stuff, you know. And, and you know, kids that need sensory input, movement breaks, it doesn't necessarily have to be what we perhaps picture getting up and moving around. Um, I was talking to an OT recently, an occupational therapist, who says, you know, those kind of exercise bands that are very sturdy. Yeah. You put those around the front two legs of a chair so that a child can tip their feet behind it and push off the band. Yeah. And it's enough feedback that they can stay regulated. Well, that's not disrupting anyone else, but it's something quite simple and not disrupting for the whole class that potentially could help a child sit in a chair for longer because yeah. they're getting sen sensory input from the movement, the strong movement in their legs against the band. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another one is, you know, you can get these tiny little stress balls and they would fit into a child's hand. You can just keep them in your pocket and every now and again, have a squash and a squeeze. But this isn't for the teachers to figure out. Mm -hmm. It's for us at home for the parents to figure out and um, and try, try out, well, this works, this doesn't work. And, and then you go to the school and you say, this is the plan I've created. Can we try it? Can we talk about it? Can we see how we can make it work for the child in the school and make it work with the school? Because you don't want your child to be like disruptive or the standout one or anything like that. It's And most schools don't either, you know, but I think if parents can tune into their child and really make their child know and believe like you're totally enough we're just going to figure out your how and that's it and there's so many supports available to help with that so many oh I hope that helps that I think that that says it all beautifully um I wanted to say I'm sorry if we were a little bit glitchy today if the weather's not good, our, our technology oh. is a little glitchy. So I'm going to say that. And I'm also going to say, if you enjoy what we're doing, it really helps us if you click the follow or the subscribe or the like button, because that's how um, the measure of kind of how well a podcast is doing. It's not actually how many people are listening, believe it or not. It's how many people like or follow or subscribe, depending on the platform that you're listening on. Oh. There you go. Do you want to remind people of the email address before we go? Oh, yes. Yeah. So if you'd want us to answer one of your parenting questions, and it can be about your children or about how you respond, email us themummind at gmail.com. If you'd like the answers to help your child with their emotions or behaviours, or if you're ready to become the parent and person you'd like to be, then start your free seven-day trial in the Camp Parenting Club by going to my website, bethanoreardon.com.